Jason Klom here, Comedy on Vinyl podcast this week. Dean Haglund is with me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jason. Great to be here. Um, so, uh, Comedy on Vinyl. That's right. Let's I emailed you out of the blue. Yes, about, you did. Um, Almost a year ago? Uh, yeah, about a year ago. <laughs> this is typical. This is typical. Is it? Some, some people it's taken two or three years, just because okay. that's how it goes. I don't want to feel bad. Like no, you should not feel bad. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Um, so. You... But I think that, obviously, I'm a fan of yours, but you intrigued me more than anybody ever has <laughs> by telling me that there's a Swedish group that has covered a George Carlin bit. <laughs> that blew yes. my mind. Wasn't that amazing? Yeah. So uh, how did that come about? Well, you know, I didn't collect music albums as a kid. I collected comedy albums. Yeah. And uh, George Carlin Class Clown was one of my first ones. I got a garage sale, 25 cents. Oh, so good. I know. And it was in great shape. And so I played that forever mm-hmm. and had it sort of memorized. Yeah. Then my cousin, who lives in Stockholm, mm-hmm. uh, I guess got to be five, six years later. Mm-hmm. And somehow I said, oh, I'm going to be a comedian when I grow up. And so he sent the big top-selling Swedish comedy album, uh, Bjarn for Bjarnen, or... It's warning kids playing, basically. Yes, I saw that. Okay, yeah. And right. it was a, uh, I didn't know it at the time, the cover of it, there's two guys in a massive food fight. And it's fully staged oh, yes. in a 1970s, like goofy. And I thought, oh, this is funny. Uh-huh. And so I play it not knowing a speck of Swedish. Right. And you, but you hear like, oh, the bar, the bar, the bar. And the big crowd laughs. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I wonder what he said that was so hilarious. And then I'm listening to it, and there is uh, the farting thing when you go to a movie and, yes. and oh the whole by love the affricative thing mm-hmm. and you're like wait what <laughs> and, and you read the liner notes and sure enough that that track is like third with uh, and it's like something with appreciation to oh, yes, George Carlin right. yeah, so yeah. they actually credited George Carlin That's in so the good. album doing it in Swedish I've never okay see I've, I've talked about this for a long time and I've, I've often thought it would be a fun experiment to cover a comedian's work it's, I know wouldn't that but, be cool but I've never heard of anybody actually having the guts to do it. I well, mean, I, I think in Swedish it's probably safe because yeah. you know the language is different. You got a different timing for on sure, that, for and sure. so you would if you're bilingual yeah. and you know the English one, and you think, hey, that's a funny bit, mm-hmm. then translate it to Swedish. Maybe not, you know, as sad a ripoff as if <laughs> right, know, right, right, right. I mean, you're actually redoing yeah. somebody else's bit. Ah, konstjärten har vi inte glömt. Det fanns ju en massa sätt att fjärta på. Vi hade ju konstgjorda menar jag då. Vi hade... Äh, ja, typ handfjärten. Armväxtfjärten. Eller bara med munnen så. Ja, lite olika kvaliteter. Och, äh, det fanns en massa sätt att fjärta på. Därför att fjärten var ett användbart ljud. Jo, men kommer ni inte ihåg läraren står fram i svarta tavlan va? Han har tappat kritan. Han är tvungen att böja sig framåt för att plocka upp den. Han blir lite spakare då. Det blir lite lugnare på lektionerna. Han är nämligen inte riktigt säker. Speciellt som vi brukar sätta in den på torsdagar efter lunch. So I guess so then from listening to it the first time you listened to it not knowing what the hell you were listening to so it didn't really match up 
rhythmically, did it? Like, did it yes. feel? It did. It, it okay. did. That All was right. the weird thing. That it, that it sort of it went faster. Okay. But it did have the same timing beats to it. Interesting. And then from that, you can learn timing. Of course. Because you're separating it from the language, from the words. You're That's just amazing. hearing the timing, and so that was like such a valuable lesson. So you know, I started looking for other foreign comedy albums. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I I got one in German recently. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're a, a German comedy group that did a Star Trek parody and a Western parody. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, they're movies, like they're movies, and then they had a comedy album out. Okay, so, okay. So they're like a comedy group. Yeah. Uh, but German language, again, you know, their verbs are at the end. Oh, right, <laughs> so right. It's sort right. of like, you know, I went to the store with is... <laughs> I'm not sure what that is, how that timing works out. So I, uh, I live with that. That's pretty funny yeah. uh, as movies go, but that's my only two foreign comedy albums. So I good. I know, right? So do you, what's the first com- do you remember the first comedy album you ever heard? I ever heard? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, my dad had, um, oh my God, what was that guy... And he did uh, the Dragnet parody for St. George. Oh, uh, And I saw him at the Magic Castle, for crying out loud, really? live doing all oh, his bits. Oh, my God. And I can't remember his name. Uh, this is the just... part where everybody who listens to the podcast gets pissed at me? Because they're like, <laughs> no. Jason, aren't you an expert? No. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and he uh, went on to do commercials uh-huh. and uh, had hilarious stories at the Magic Castle. Like, he lived in Pasadena. Uh-huh. His first day, he gets on the bus, gets off at Hollywood and Highland, mm-hmm. walks into an agency that says, at agency. Uh-huh. And they go, what do you do, kid? I do voices. And he did, like, some funny voices. I go, that's amazing. They call Warner Brothers. They drive him down to Warner Brothers. He goes right into the studio that they do Bugs Bunny in. And there's, like, one of the, the producers that works under Chuck Jones. I go, what do you got, kid? And he does all these funny voices. They go, wow, that's amazing. Uh, you know, and then they say... Listen, I, I'm not suggesting you just fail off the bus, but where you been? Because <laughs> oh no, literally, God. I just got off the bus in Hollywood. That's amazing. And he's like, first day. That's hilarious. Isn't that great? I love that. So, story. was that something your parents owned, or is that something you heard elsewhere? Uh, I think my dad owned it, mm-hmm. and it might have been given to him because he would always go to garage sales and okay. pick up, you know, a ton of stuff for a buck. Yeah. And uh, so. Uh, and at the same time in Canada, the FM station started playing uh, Sunday morning, just comedy excerpts. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so they were doing like all these albums from uh, the National Lampoon Radio Hour and early uh, uh, the uh, improv group that uh, the 60s radical improv group, that the name of which I can't remember. Uh-huh. Plus, there'd be Canadian groups, Wayne and Schuster. That's awesome. Uh, uh, Hart Pomerantz mm-hmm. and uh, Lorne Michaels yeah. were a comedy group together. And so you would listen to these things and you'd mm-hmm. go, oh my God. And it would be hilarious. Oh my God. I, there are, I hate to say it, but I still forget sometimes that Lorne Michaels has legit comedy cred. You know I know, what I mean? Right? It's very weird to me. So what it's was that weird. like? What was that? Just Well, they were kind of, uh, well, you know, Wayne and Schuster were like as a kid funny, but uh-huh. you watch it now and you're like, yeah, well, okay. But they apparently were the most invited back sketch comedy duo uh-huh. on the Ed Sullivan show. Really? Yeah. So That's they awesome. did uh, uh, Murder in Rome, like it's Julius Caesar, uh-huh. but done as a comedy Sherlock Holmes detective <laughs> thing. You know, and it's like, this is the end of Caesar with his ass show. Like, it's it. the lamest oh, gag. So good. Now, out of curiosity, though, 
were they being played due to popular demand or were there Canadian content regulations that were made? Well, funny you should ask. Yeah, yeah right, because there is a Canadian content regulation. But some of them were really popular. Wayne yeah. and Schuster had their, uh, uh, by the time the 70s, 80s rolled around, mm-hmm. they had a yearly uh, TV special awesome. that was always highly rated. Okay. Particularly when you only had three channels right. growing up. Right, you know? right. There's the national channel, the mm-hmm. other channel, and then one that came in kind of blurry, like nine at night sort of thing. And that was it. Was there... Uh was there ever a sort of uh, a pride when you found a good Canadian? Not that there aren't any, obviously. Right. I mean, at this, we're, we're at a point now where <laughs> Canadian comedy in history has obvi- trumped so right, much exactly. what we used to. But, I mean, was there ever, because of the influx of American crap, was there pride? That, uh, not really pride, but mm-hmm. you heard the difference, for sure. Yeah. You know, just in terms of subject matter, mm-hmm. uh, weird tangents, like to be a little more surreal sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I was collecting British comedy albums, too. Sure. That were coming down, all the Monty Python um, uh, things, you know. Uh, the, um, uh, my God, it's my brain failing. <laughs> uh, Life of Brian, but yeah. uh, um, uh, the other Holy one. Holy Grail? Holy Grail, thank you. Uh-huh. Holy Grail had an album out, <laughs> yes. which was parts of the movie, and then sketches comment, commenting on it, so it was like the red carpet to the Holy Grail, where there's a horrible accident, and like the, the limos crash, and it was like all in sound effects and stuff like that. So, so I listened to that over and over again, that blue album. Uh, and then there was one before Holy Grail that was just from the TV show, which had yes. sketches not on the TV show right. in it as well. And uh, and then, of course, the Contractual Obligation album, mm-hmm. which had uh, uh, You Can't Say on the radio. So good. That one's good. Love it. Yeah, that came later, though. So I had all of those. Mm-hmm. And yeah, were, did you did you have do, did you or do you have a preference to listen for listening to stand up versus sketch or do you not discriminate? Uh, I don't discriminate that much. Uh, stand up uh, was always I always hated the audiences. <laughs> you know, that, right? I can understand they, that. <laughs> they went crazy for like a half ass joke uh-huh. like, or something you didn't see or something you didn't see. Uh-huh. Yeah, the sight gag ones would always piss me off. Mm-hmm. But uh, there weren't too many on those. I guess just. Robin Williams' reality, what a concept. Oh, that, yeah. mm-hmm. that had some sight gags that didn't get you anywhere. Right. Um, and then, I uh, can't remember, I think one Steve Martin uh, gag where... Yeah, the beginning of Let's Get Small, he does the bit where he says he's going to suck the piano into his lungs. Yes. And I never got that. I never got that, and then suddenly it's a big laugh. Uh-huh, right. like, did, did he actually suck the piano into right. his lungs? <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> I mean, he's a magician, after right. all. Because he does the great fly Dini. Have that you seen true. I, have, I haven't seen it, but I, I've read about... Was it in Born Standing Up? You might have, might have talked about that in Born Standing Up. I uh, have... Uh, I was doing public speaking, and so there was a catalog with all the public speakers, mm-hmm. and $60,000, Steve Martin does uh, 35 minutes, uh-huh. and uh, he'll give a talk specifically designed for your industry, which he somehow improvises, uh, and then has trouble with this fly, where, so he's been doing this for a while, so so the, so the that was the description in the actual public speaking bureaus. That's amazing. <laughs> so you're like, hey, that sounds like a great, that plays 60000 for that, just so do you think he still does that? Because if he still does that, anybody out there who's listening and you've got a corporate gig and Steve Martin comes to it, you've now got a rarity. Record that thing and yeah, release it. Totally. You know? That's yeah. so weird. It's so weird because the act is, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable in the fly while he's talking about 
you know, plumbing association, three quarter <laughs> joint, elbow joints, right? Oh. And he can just sort of riff on that. Right. And at the same time, then he pulls out like a, a, a thing from his flag, like a banana, and he puts it on the stool. And then by the end of his talk, mm -hmm. on the stool is a blender that is somehow plugged in and all the fruit that he's taken out of his pants he's made himself a smoothie and had a drink around 20 minutes oh and, and then there's a live goldfish bowl that he pulls out of his pants oh my so God. all of that stuff is somehow in his pants and it's all on the stool and by this time everybody's in hysterics but he's still talking about three-quarter right. inch elbow plumbing you know elbow joints I don't know how he does can that can you imagine being to that point in your career where you've done everything and now you're like I'll take corporate money but I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to practically just stare at you for... But I mean, that's a great bit, though. <laughs> that's you know a great what I mean? Bit. It's a great bit to... The stretching is the bit itself. Right, exactly. So good. But you know, Frank Sinatra did the same thing. You sure? He that's did true. weddings at the end of it. So and funny. I went... Uh, I was in New York and I met a guy who was at a wedding in Long, uh, Long Island, mm -hmm. up in the Hamptons. And uh, Frank Sinatra, they were all excited. But his rule was uh -huh. three songs he chooses, no personalization, and there's got to be room for his helicopter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, and, it's, and as soon as it lands, he starts. That's the other thing. So, wow. So there's like a, a you know, wedding singer playing, uh -huh. and then all of a sudden you're doo -doo 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 helicopter land. Like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Frank Sinatra. He just walks off, and he like belts out three songs. Ah, doo -ba -doo -doo. And like he had sent the CD ahead of time, uh -huh. and everybody goes crazy, and then he just walks back to the helicopter. Oh my flies God. Off. And he got, I go, what? That cost, he said, $450,000. And he would do like one, almost one every other weekend. Wow. I know. So uh, that makes me then think if he's making that much money, he's got that much control over it. If he accidentally lands an hour early and you're in the middle, <laughs> she's about to say, I do. No, yeah. fuck it. Frank's no, got to play. Frank's got to play. Know? Exactly. Holy shit. Can that's you so imagine? Oh, that's hilarious. So that's, that, those are corporate gigs you want to do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of right? course. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's then talk about. So oh, yeah, what's the first comedy? Yeah. Yeah, right. What's oh, the first yeah. comedy album you bought, though? Was that was Class Clown or no? Class Clown, but that was that was uh, garage sale. So mm -hmm. you know, I didn't. I was young enough to go, hey, what a funny picture. Okay, okay, yeah. And I just bought it for the funny picture. Then I heard it. I went, See, that's oh, so good. yeah, right. And then was totally amazed. Mm -hmm. And then going to the record store with my brother, he would go, you know, buy the rock show stuff, and I would go to the comedy section yeah. and dig through them. And so, and let me think. The first actual one. I thought may have been uh, Groucho Marx at Carnegie Hall. Oh, live so recording. This so was good. The, yeah, one of the last things uh, he did before he died. Yeah, I'm and, so torn on that album because I love it. Yeah, but he sounds so old. He's he sounds so and, sad. Yeah, and it's apparently really yeah, that huge laugh that you hear off the top. Yeah, was he actually fell asleep on the stool? <laughs> when they were showing Duck Soup and he was sitting there backstage and so we were, he was actually oh. dead asleep and the, and the roar of the crowd That's woke him up. amazing. Yeah. And so then, you know, he does Lydia the Tattooed Lady, uh -huh. does some ditties and the whole thing and, uh, and so I listened to that just to hear, you know, the ditty songs and uh -huh. the whole thing but it wasn't, you know, I am torn too because you went, wow. That's yeah. that's beyond uh, you bet your life. Right, 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he he'd re he was he lucked out he lucked out because there was that resurgence amongst hipsters, yeah, old yeah. school people, absolutely. You know, like myself, like I might have been at the time. So he lucked out. It's great. There's a resurgence, but it's after he's lost some energy, lost a wife, yeah, uh, right, and then yeah. got a wife who rumors where was using him. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, there... I just read the book of the personal secretary who was there for oh, the last. Oh yeah, I didn't uh, read that. Uh, eight. 
18 months he was mm -hmm. there, and how he doesn't paint a flattering picture of Aaron okay. at all. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, and Grudge Mart sounded like he just lied in bed all day, uh -huh. and then got up, ate a ton, smoked cigars, didn't exercise, <laughs> didn't do nothing. <laughs> then he would just, you know, have uh, strokes and seizures. Oh, <laughs> they would just, they, nobody would get them to a gym. Nobody would like try oh. and prove his diet. Yeah, they would yeah. just make him sit there, just so like. So just waiting for it. Waiting for it. So it was like so suck. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Such a drag. What, what always kind of blew my mind. I'm still trying to get him on the podcast. Is I never knew until like a year or two ago that Bud Court lived with him for a period. Yeah. And that blows I really want to talk to him about. It. Yeah, yeah. Course. They were like kind of uh, hanging out. And, that's, that's so uh, weird. So weird. And I think they met. Uh, on the day Sharon Tate was murdered as well. Really? Yeah, so everybody was freaked out that there was a murder and he comes to the door not knowing who graduated up in the Hollywood Hills, you can imagine. Yeah, I know. So that would be, if you get that, I would mm -hmm. definitely want to hear that. So, so you bought, all right, so you're buying those things. Right. I'm so sorry, give me one second. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> Damn, I'm getting over cold. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm not contagious. Um, <laughs> so, were you, you were buying used stuff at the time, or you? Used, no, that was new. That was I, new. That was I, oddly enough, I think that just sat in the local department store mm -hmm. uh, comedy bin yeah. since it was issued in uh -huh. like '70, and it was still there by the time I got so there. Crazy. Yeah. So I got that, and then I bought uh, all the Steve Martin ones from Let's Get Small, Company Not Pretty, uh -huh. and uh, the other one. Uh, uh, Wild and Crazy Guy. Wild and Crazy. Also the Steve Martin Brothers. What was the one? Is that with his... Uh, there's one where there's two of them on... Uh, the yellow one with the clown face. Was that... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, 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 isn't that Comedy's Not Pretty? Oh, that is Comedy yeah, Night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then Let's Get Small and uh, Wild and Crazy Guy. Yeah. yeah. Did you buy them just because I like this guy and I'm going to buy them all? And did you... Get, were you discerning as a kid? I started becoming discerning right about there. Yeah, I was okay. like, okay, now I'm, I'm searching out specific comics. Mm -hmm. And then uh, going... I had older ones... The other one, oh yeah, now I remember. My dad had the Smother Brothers. Oh. Mom always liked you best. So good. That's so good. And I ran into uh, uh, Tommy Smothers really? in a bar in Rochester, New York. What? Yeah, I was doing stand-up. Uh-huh. And uh, it was me and the opening act who I just met. And uh, he does this bit with, like, he picks out audience members and he goes, hey, look, it's, and he'll, like, sort of identify it as a star, uh -huh. and, you know, who's like, and he's pretty good at it, right? Mm -hmm. So we're sitting at the bar, he goes, hey, look, Tommy's mother. I go, dude, that is Tommy's mother. They're performing in town this week. <laughs> he's like, what? I go, Tommy, hey, big fan. Oh. And so he bought him a drink and he chatted. Oh, my God. And it turns out, I said I had that album as a kid. He goes, yeah, you know, we improvised that whole album. And what? then, yeah, and then they had to get the tapes and learn their show from <laughs> the one improvised thing that they oh did. Oh, my God. Like, the whole thing, they just sort of riffed without an idea what the hell they were going to do. Wow. Yeah, so it was a one-time improv that they went back and learned. Holy shit. I know. Can you imagine? That's my, I mean, that's some of my, my like, when I started the podcast, there were a few things that stood out. Weird Al was always one of them, and Cheech and Chong, just because I became friends with my best friend over those two. All right. But then the Smothers Brothers were the next, Smothers Brothers and Carlin, like, I, I think I own, I think I own four or five copies on Action and some of their albums. <laughs> right? Yeah, because I'm like, I don't think I own this one. Cool. This is only a buck. No. I know, because they changed the uh, uh -huh. uh, art. art That's also everything. happened, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, is that the only one you had, only Smothers Brothers, or did you buy more? No, I that? think that was the only one I had of uh -huh. that, uh, because I think... Uh, they reissued with a different picture on it. Okay, yep. And I almost got suckered. I read the line and went, wait a sec, it's the same crap I already got. So I was weary on that one. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, Cheech and Chong. Uh, 
I was working at a in in the prairies mm-hmm. of Canada. Uh-huh. There is uh, gravel pits where they dig up gravel for sure. aggregate on the roads, and they sometimes hit uh, an artesian well. Uh-huh. And the one near us, about two miles away, uh, was turned into an actual beach resort. Really? So you go swim in the old swimming hole, and then my family ran the concession stand and the pinball games and stuff like awesome. that. And that summer, Cheech and Chong came out with okay. their album, and uh, the guys who were also working, like the custodial staff, were playing it nonstop and laughed their head off and getting high as kites. Uh, of course, uh, yeah. of course. Yeah, hilarious. So, uh, that was my, I never had to buy that album because by the end of the summer I had it memorized. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Of course you did. Um, and then um, Cheech and Chong, and then uh, I guess the right after that, uh, Reality What a Concept, the biggest one was the two album Woody Allen stand Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was such a massive influence because mm-hmm. by that time I went, oh wait, I think I'm going to do stand up as right. a career thing. Right. And so I just listened to that non stop. Did you know of him as a stand up at all at that point or were you just knew him from his movies? I knew him from his movies, but I had seen, uh, they did a special on the history of Ed Sullivan perhaps? Okay, okay. or maybe it was a Canadian TV show called uh, the not Tommy Hunter it was another guy okay. Tommy Hunter was a country singer who I guess saw okay. but Woody Allen came and did a Canadian television okay. and they showed it there and it was like oh oh wait a sec uh-huh. I gotta get that and so hearing that then but it's so funny because uh, when you listen to the album mm-hmm. He sounds way cooler. Like it's like 100% he does. Yeah, and you don't think he's doing these ticks and right, and right. Like all of those little like bodily jerk things yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. If you're just listening to him, he sounds so confident with yeah. his material. And then when you actually see him with all the physicality, it, to me it actually took away from it. I can bit. see that. You right? know, and, and when I when I think, now that you're saying that, the first time I heard it was during the days when I didn't have a soul or conscience and was downloading all the comedy I could because <laughs> I could, right? Okay. So I bought, I downloaded. One of the one of the two albums that that, that is made up of, and um, yeah, and now that you're saying that, I, I listen. I remember listening to like my favorite bit on probably anything he's ever done is the bit about the moose. Yes, that, and it's it's just Such a classic old joke, yeah. right? Yeah. But and it's perfect. But you don't like you're saying he just sounds like a guy who's just got perfect timing, rattling off that and the bullet in the Bible joke is my yeah. two favorites. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's so funny that that so would kind of funny. totally changes. Everything, but nobody yeah. was doing that, I guess. So, well, he was just such a writer, you know, because mm-hmm. he was writing on the show shows, yeah, and uh, submitting jokes as a 16 year old to the New York Times really? and getting published. Did oh you know God. that? Yeah, I didn't just, know that. Just mailing jokes in and like, what? What 16 year old does that? And get him out like that. Right. Here's some here's some hilarious things I thought of. Just mail them off. Wow. Uh, yeah. So he was like a writer. And he had that discipline of writing four hours every day oh, right. from the age of 16. Right? So uh, you would think that that would start paying off. Mm-hmm. But he did have the neuroses of stage fright and all that sort of thing. For sure, so, for sure. So uh, according to his whatever biography I forgot I read, mm-hmm. but his first year was like he was so scared shitless that, that when you hear that album, mm-hmm. His material and everything is so confident, mm-hmm. but he probably still has anxiety about being yeah. in front of a crowd. Yeah. Um, I uh, I love that album, 
but I was off to college. Here's mm. my hilarious story. Uh -huh. And so I had to have this album while I was in college. Like, mm -hmm. It was so important to me. And uh, so... Had you started stand-up at this point yet? Uh, I had done a couple of things in theater, like in theater school. Okay, okay. But I was not old enough to be in the bars yet before oh, I went right. off. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so you had to be 18 to get... So I actually lied my way into one to do, like, <laughs> in this really rough part of Winnipeg uh -huh. to get into, like, because they, they had an open mic. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, there was like only three people there, and two of them were like punching each other. And <laughs> so Banning started yet, and so I got there way too early, and uh, I just left. So no, I hadn't started stand up yet. But uh, going off to university in Vancouver, mm -hmm. I thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna just uh, record this album off my sister's LP player, uh -huh. and then it plugs into this cassette thing, mm -hmm. and. So I just plugged it in and let it go, and then we went out for dinner. So I thought, okay. oh, you know, I'll just rewind it to the park. Sure, sure, sure. Well, lousy album, mm -hmm. or lousy record player, uh -huh. started skipping. <laughs> and it was like, uh, you know, it's the one bit, oh, on my honeymoon. <laughs> oh, you would have loved me. I had my muscle oiled, <laughs> I love uh, my water skis on, and in the boat in front of me, my wife rowing frantically. <laughs> That's right. And just as that laughter starts, it's like you hear one girl go, huh? the record starts skipping, <laughs> and it skips for the entire time we're out for dinner. So basically, I get eight minutes of Woody Allen, and then 25 minutes of it skipping, rowing frantically, huh? rowing frantically, huh? and it went on for 25 minutes. And it was so hypnotic uh -huh. that I actually used it in a performance art piece <laughs> later. <laughs> it was oh called God. Rowing Frantically. And I just let that play in a loop and did this physical like thing that everybody thought that's was how So did you, starting at the beginning of the joke, you did it? And yeah. people thought that was going to be the soundtrack the, of what you That doing. thought was going to be the soundtrack. So, so I, And I'm doing it like a stand-up, but I'm not mouthing the words. Okay. Right? Okay. But I'm just like like standing like I'm about to do stand-up right. and then it plays Woody Allen stand-up bit and then it gets a laugh but then it starts looping and then from there it's like I go into this dreamscape of oh, my own mental awesome. anxiety yeah that's oh, it was totally awesome I wish I still had that cassette actually of because because now like how would I get that record to skip for 25 minutes right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, wouldn't, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't do it oh, so. That's so good I know it's and, so and that's something that's completely native to that medium only uh, right you know had it been on a tape it just would have been eaten it wouldn't have would have happened. Right, CD, they would just scratch it. Mm -hmm. It would skip over to whatever the next bit is. Exactly right. But this way, it would just, and it just so kept good. going. And you're like, wow, how was that? Uh, and it really, after, you know, 25 minutes, I, I don't think I ever got to the end of the 25 minutes. I just know uh -huh. from the number that when it finally finished, sure. 25 minutes was up. But I, I often, I had listened, I think my record was 18 minutes. Okay, yeah. Just hearing it skip over and over again. <laughs> Because my piece itself, the performance piece, was only like seven, eight That's minutes long, right. but still. Yeah. Because you, you go through stages where it's like, now you start lifting to that first woman who laughs. Mm -hmm. If you listen to it, there's one woman who laughs before the before crowd laughs, else. right? And so she's like, she's got this giggle that's going up in crescendo, <laughs> and then, and then, uh, when you, so you stop hearing him say rowing frantically and you just start focusing on that woman laughing and it becomes this weird trippy mind That's thing. That's so good. So well, good. we have the title of your autobiography figured out. Rowing, <laughs> rowing frantically. frantically. That has to happen. <laughs> um, so, uh, alright, so once you've started stand-up, 
does it end? Are you still are you still collecting now? Uh, or did you? Were you then still? Uh, yeah, now I'm collecting uh, joke books. Joke more. books, really? Okay. Yeah, so I have Milton Burroughs two uh, oh, volume good. set, yeah. and started collecting vintage joke books. Awesome. Particularly sudden around uh, 1880 jokes. Really? Yeah, there's joke books from the like printed that are compendiums, often quite long uh-huh, and uh-huh, weird. Uh-huh. But then there's like these little one-liners like. Oh, uh, I'm off to Europe, or I'm off to a foreign country. Oh, do you speak the language? Like a native. <laughs> what? Is that the joke? I'm not sure. What? That, what? That's kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> I know. Half of them got to be racist, too. Though. Well, yeah, so okay. you can sort of see... to make sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's, some of it's, like, weirdly racist. Like, oh, the Lithuanians are... <laughs> what? <laughs> so some stereotypes that just didn't survive. Did That's not survive, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so you can sort of see the history of uh, mm-hmm. race relations through, yeah, yeah, yeah. through jokes, and some of them are, like, nobody... And, of course, of uh, women's rights. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, try go and find any, like, here's jokes appropriate for the wedding. Uh, <laughs> I, I said to my wife, I'll beat you sensuous if you don't make me coffee. <laughs> he was like, that's not, I'm not Wait saying that at a wedding, but that's the worst thing. This, to, is, this is evidence in a trial. I know, this is horrible. Oh, my God. And all these jokes are that kind of punchline, so, you know. I feel like you're the perfect person to interview for this, and we could talk about anything... We can talk about comedy records continually also, but, I mean, you are big on film history and on entertainment history in general. That's true, yes. I know why it's important to me. I'm curious why it's important to you. Well, uh, I think uh, it's my upbringing as well. So, uh, as a kid, I didn't realize my mom was saving money, but she would buy the $1 silent film history books at the uh, local bookstores Mm -hmm. because apparently nobody else was interested. And then every Christmas I would get, you know, the uh, Western heroes of the silent screen, so uh, silent comedies. There was a guy who was putting out, uh, he would just do screen grabs every 15 seconds yes. of silent films. Uh-huh. And like a Frankenstein, yeah, and then uh, uh, Laurel and Hardy, mm-hmm. uh, in a, a fine mess, you know, so you could like mm-hmm. sort of follow along the movie if you so hadn't good. seen it. So a lot of these movies I had not seen, but only know them from the stills. Awesome. And then when you watch it, you go, oh yeah, well this happens, and then that gag, and then, mm-hmm. you know, like the uh, the piano carriers, the piano movers. Yeah. That one was shown in like stills. So and then great. I finally saw it on the big screen at an art gallery. It was like so mind blowing. <laughs> so then to move down here mm-hmm. and see all those locations, particularly when I'm living right beside a, a block, like across the street from here, uh-huh. is the building where Harold Lloyd hung from the clock and saved your last. Me? Yeah. So, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that building, if you look at that picture, mm-hmm. it is, this wasn't here yet because this was built in 1929. We're at the Eastern Columbia mm-hmm. at the corner of 9th and Broadway. But beside it is what is now called the Broadway Trade Center. At the time was the Hamburger Department Store built in 1908. Okay. That is clearly visible behind every shot of Harold Lloyd hanging from that clock. So that he filmed at Broadway and 9th at what is now the Sparkle Factory. Uh-huh. And uh, he uh-huh. built it so the clock was actually facing away from the street. Yeah. And so if he fell, he just fell on the roof. Sure. And then the camera was over the skylight of the elevator shaft shooting across. Because otherwise, if you shot it on that side of the street, you'd have to swing out one of those 1927 cameras, which were 300 pounds, right? And it had like a giant wood case and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they had to like fake it so that you built these fake fronts on the roof that would just, you know, face the other way. Yeah. And then that way you get the whole angle of Broadway up the street. Have you ever gotten up on top of the building? Can you? You 
can, I've asked, but they uh, okay, they so thought much. I was a little weird. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought <laughs> if I'm going to do that, then I would want to rebuild the set. Of course you Like, would. you know, so it would be like, so I'm like getting my... That's my next Kickstarter campaign, just to redo shot for shot, safety last, in modern day, oh finding God. all the original buildings in downtown LA. Amazing. Wouldn't that be funny? Do you still get chills when you see a set, something that was a set or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, for sure. And uh, there's a couple of really great websites that go around and show you, you know, how it looked and what mm -hmm. was there. And uh, I still watch, I, you know, watching old movies now on TCM, mm -hmm. Silent Sundays, whole different thing because yeah. now I'll pause it and then try identify the streets awesome. and like all the things because it's still so phenomenal you know there's still eight original Broadway houses right on this one street right it's right. the largest collection of original houses. and I got to see those the other America. day and they're so gorgeous my god so gorgeous I had no idea they were here and then to hear people say well you know this is the only night when they're all open yeah yeah that upset me yeah <laughs> I mean I know I believe me I mean I know the state of this part of town it's not you know it's trying to build back up well you know. it's getting there for yeah, of sure. course it definitely yeah, yeah. is. I mean, the fact that they've even had that night was fantastic. Absolutely. But, um, wow. Well, yeah, and it's expensive real estate, and, you know, other places have tried to do, like, bring back movies. Mm -hmm. The Million Dollar Theater was showing movies every Wednesday that the uh, UCLA Film Restoration really? group was doing. And I would go every Wednesday, yeah. and there'd be eight of us yeah. <laughs> in a giant 3,000-seat wow. historic theater oh, where it's like, oh, my God. God, you're watching this for free, people. Yeah. And it was, like, really frustrating. But, uh, you know, it's a whole nother generation that sure. that still, you know, apparently thinks silent films are stupid. I who, who knows? But I mean, if, if you think silent films are stupid, why are you not upset at six minute videos online that are square? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They're just as full of content as some of the, as a train coming at your face. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Come on now. I know that we're entertained by cats looking at snow. Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah. have we diminished our, Maybe. have we gone back? It's gone full circle. Right. Guy shooting at camera. Great train <laughs> reverie, 1908. You right. know, like, right. <laughs> just like, oh, okay, sure. Do you ever, I mean, is there anything involved in your collecting of this stuff or learning more about history or doing your walking tours downtown? Are they? Do you feel like a historian, like maybe in a small way? Is that important to you? Or yeah, or? well, my uh, my girlfriend's brother's a historian. Okay, and so you know when you see a real historian who's researching and teaching, yes, uh, it, it feels the same sort of thing that I'm doing. Yeah, like, you know, you spend it's relaxing to go and learn about this stuff sure. and it's fantastic to share this information with others mm -hmm. i don't have to mark syllabuses or like right. you know great papers or anything like that mm -hmm. so i feel like i got an easier time of it right. but yeah I, I do feel like a historian and also you know these are great stories these mm -hmm. are amazing stories of how these architects built these theaters yes yeah. charles lee was 26 when he built the tower theater like in a miracle and uh and so you you as a storyteller mm -hmm. these are just great stories sitting right on you just there in the street right that is attached to architecture that is attached to film that is attached to jack benny the marx brothers Laurel and hardy like all of them that have performed here yeah and so you know i love it so much mm -hmm. and just it makes you appreciate craft going back to stand-up sure why i love listening to stand-up albums was listening to craft yeah. right you hear woody allen writing a bit you hear yeah. how the smothered brothers give and take the timing of the swedish guys for uh-huh and to know you know like um when the marx brothers did night at the opera yeah uh up till then they were just filming their vaudeville shows right so you know monkey business and duck soup were all just sketches that they had worked on forever on mm -hmm. stage so now irving thalberg said well, we should do a parody on opera we should call it uh night at the opera cool. and he 
How are you? And then uh, we should um, we should take it on the road and work out the gags. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. so where it premiered the first time is the Palace Theater right here on Broadway. I did not know that. Yeah, and they had uh, done the show. Uh, with a guy in the audience with a stopwatch, uh -huh. and he would write down the timing of the laughter, wow. how many seconds, and he did that for every show. So mm -hmm. they toured the North America for mm -hmm. six months at the last of the remaining uh, theaters that mm -hmm. still showed vaudeville, that still had a stage that could take the Marx yeah. Brothers. And there was three different edits of that film. So that there was a West Coast, an East Coast, and a Southern edit, because the laughter, the wow. sense of humor was so different back then, regional differences, uh -huh. that they knew from touring that they had cut, hey, how are you, that they cut three different versions of that That's film. Amazing. And of course, you can't find that now, because right, once they went to television, they cut out all those silent bits. Sure, like, sure, sure. You know, because there would be four, four seconds of just Harpo and Chico looking at each other yeah, yeah, yeah. after something Groucho said, mm -hmm. and you're like... Oh, okay, now it goes on. So, <laughs> so when you watch it on TV, it was just like, well, cut out all these you know, quiet bits and just stick the gags together. Wow. I know, really I amazing. The closest thing you're going to get to that now is somebody doing stand-up, where you do tailor yourself to where you are. Right, and, you know? and, and if you know, you know, it's very few chances where you go, oh, I'm going to do a movie, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do it as a stage play first, and I'm going to work on it for years on end. Big Fat Greek Wedding is an excellent example. Neil Vardalis had that as a live stage show. Right. So she knew where all the jokes were, what the gags were, and then when it became the film, it was easy because she goes, okay, this is a, you know, here's a set piece, this is, gets a big sure. laugh, sure. and you can cut that thing to the show that she had inherently knew yeah. for six years, right? So crazy. So crazy. So, so when, all right, now, after, and I'm sorry, I know we keep skipping around, but the no, history no. stuff is my favorite shit. I yeah, love talking about this shit. So, me too. And it's relevant to, I think, in general, what we're talking about. Absolutely. Um, is there one, I hate to ask this question, because <laughs> it limits you, but uh, it limits your answers. Right. Uh, is there one stand-up who you feel like influenced your own comedy more, or is it... Well, because I listened to that Woody Allen one, mm -hmm. uh, that was pretty influential. But uh, so one. Uh, Would you ever sit and write write this stuff down, like take notes as to the stuff you're listening, or are you just absorbing it through listening? I'm just absorbing it and then re-listening to it, yeah. like over and over again. Okay. And so, uh, and then I had a I had a you know school books where I had jokes written down or jokes that I heard or mm -hmm. uh, rare jokes you know that I discerned sure. or, or watched a uh, Marx Brothers film and wrote down just the right. funniest lines of that. Of course. Uh, you know that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, I left that on a bus one day. Oh, no. I know. I never saw it again. It was like the massive collection. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I did that kind of research. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, so I think, yeah, so it was, the, it was the writing of Woody Allen and then the improv energy of Robin Williams, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And, uh, and then I started doing theater sports mm -hmm. with Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery mm -hmm. uh, for 10 years. And so Crazy. my stand-up has now evolved into a much more improvisational sure. aspect. And then, of course, once I got on the, uh, the X-Files, then that uh, became the meshing of all of it together, yeah. where I improvised an episode of the X-Files live on stage bringing audience members up. So good. And then did that around the world. I did the Edinburgh French Festival uh, three, three years in a row, toured Europe, and now I'm off to Australia to do that. Really? Yeah. That's so, amazing. So it's going to be cool. Yeah. Can I, can I side, just a little side thing? Yeah. Can I ask you what your thoughts are on the rumors of the uh, of the new X-Files? Ah, uh, yes. Well, 
You know, you uh, can abstain. <laughs> no, I no. have my own thoughts, and they're strong. So <laughs> I love to hear them because, uh, yeah, you know, uh, the second movie was a tough haul for me. For sure. Uh, for sure. I was uh, a a no romo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A guy was into having them just you know respect each other professionally, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but not have to live together in a cabin in the woods. What the hell? I, I can understand that. Right? Yeah, I can so, understand that. So that's relationship aside, uh -huh. uh, and then uh, making it the whole, at the height of the Bush administration, right? Uh -huh. The major war conspiracy cabinet, and the thing about don't trust the government, we're doing a movie about Russian head transplants. Right. <laughs> like, right. Are you kidding right. me? That was tough. Yeah. But of course the writer's strike came, so you know, mm -hmm. I can totally understand. Uh, and apparently they lost their first script. So, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. So well, Chris and Frank, yeah, we're working on a thing, and then Frank moved offices just when Chris got a greenlit. Uh -huh. I said, okay, pull out that shoebox full of the story notes, and they looked around and they couldn't oh, find come it. come on. I know. No, and so no, they no. basically had six months to put together put a whole together new movie. Wow. Yeah, so. Wow. That would sort of explain that. Yeah. So now I think it's smarter mm -hmm. to do a miniseries over a, a movie. Sure. Uh, a movie's okay, a standalone yeah. miniseries. Mm -hmm. You can explore mm -hmm. different standalones. Plus, you can have a larger story arc. Right. Right. You can let things evolve and develop and, and change your timing and pacing. Right? Mm -hmm. Because some X file episodes, you know, are rapid, and some are slow and brooding and stuff like that. I can I can see a miniseries working as long as it. My only concern was, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they would be stupid enough to reboot something that has that. I hope to God. I just, that's all. That is all. You can't try and reboot it. Just, if you're going to do it, either keep Mulder and Scully, right. or I guess a new team, if you have to do it. But, right. Because they're out of the X-Files at this point, in the, if, you, if, if, if these movies are canon now. Well, exactly. Canon, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and also, you know, how many ghost hunter shows are there now? How many, right. uh, you know, anti-vaccination crap? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. everybody's into conspiracies yeah. and are living them, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're not just, oh, hey crazy TV show. It's like, right. yeah, you know what? I'm not going to give my kid because it causes... What? The Mercury is doing blah, 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 the hoodoo? You know, it's just like, oh, okay. So now the culture has changed so much yeah. and everybody is, uh, you know, and it's just, it's popular culture. Sure. It's not cutting edge. It's not on the fringe anymore. So yeah. all of those elements, you, you're, you're after going to refine uh, cutting edge television making techniques and... Sure cutting-edge television content, yeah. like, that's a, that's that's a tall a, order. That's honestly. a tall that. order, for <laughs> sure. Say that. Now so. I'm scared. I'm more scared. <laughs> I, was, I, I frightened you of this whole show. <laughs> At the same time, were I to pitch this, mm -hmm. which I know you have many listeners, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here's the pitch. All right. Mulder and Scully had that kid. Yeah. Uh, that show was 18 years ago. Yeah. That kid would be 18. Shit. He now estranged one day. <laughs> gets a box of burnt files, mm -hmm. looks through them, takes yeah. the filing cabinet that burnt in episode season eight. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. all just mailed to him anonymously from dad from somewhere, uh -huh, uh -huh. right? And then he begins piecing these things together, like finding, it. you know, digging up the gunman in the basement uh -huh. under the cemetery, uh, you know, there's the smoking man's kid runs into that, you know, Great. like all of these things start meshing. He has to put it together while 
you know, redeveloping his relationship with his parents that have gone yeah. into hiding or whatever. That'd be great. And then, you know, David and Jillian can come in and out as often as they want or not at all. Not at all. And then you have some hot 18 year old who's trying to put it all together. Yeah. And it's like, it's sort of like Lost is, mm-hmm. you know, it's one man lost with X File overtones plus like characters you already know. That's awesome. See, that's my pitch. I like that. That's See? Good. You know, I was just thinking about this too the other day. So, do you know, and I, I should have researched this, and again, you can scream all you want, people. I apologize, <laughs> I didn't research this because it's not a comedy thing, but did they ever release an X Files like soundtrack or anything on vinyl? I'm, uh, do you know? No. Okay. Because uh, there was the X-Files soundtrack that had, um, uh, uh, who was on it? Um, Foo Fighters. Because okay. we were in the Foo Fighters video mm-hmm. for that, for the uh, movie. Yes. And they had uh, uh, that metal band uh, that I love so much, that, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> and they were going to get Perry Farrell, but he, uh, didn't, he rejected uh, the offer really? to do, because he said, and this was a quote put out by his record album company, that uh-huh. uh, the X Files has put back alien human relations twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> and he was serious so about it. Too. Amazing. Yeah, he was wow. so, such a believer, and he thought that by popularizing uh, alien human uh-huh. thing and making that, you allowed it to be diminished. Because if wow. anybody actually has an, enc- an encounter of any sort, you can just go, ah, you watch to watch X-Files, and just diminish and blow them off, right? All right. So he so uh, disliked that, that he refused to participate That's in amazing. the album. <laughs> Isn't that wow. great? Wow. <laughs> um, but I just have the CD of it. I don't have any, uh, I never yeah, had. I, don't, I, I was wondering, I could never, I, I, I couldn't remember, because it was just at the time when vinyl was going bye-bye. Yes. Um, and before it was being reissued for comebacks now. For sure. Yeah. So, okay, so when the X-Files started, I mean, did you, again, when, when do you know when the last time you bought a comedy album, I mean, were you still buying comedy at the point? Because, I mean, uh, you're, you know. Yeah, well, no, at that point. Big job. Yeah. Uh, I would buy the CDs from my opening acts and okay, stuff like okay, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, so I have a lot of those, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them are pretty funny. Graham Elwood's uh, oh, great, yeah. I love that one. And uh, uh, so at that point, I switched to CDs and supporting. And everybody, you know, once your laptop can burn a CD, uh, of course, you yeah. record your act and you just sell it afterwards for five bucks. Absolutely, and, yeah. And that was your beer money sort of thing. So I think uh, uh, those were the ones. I was collecting serendipitously just to figure out, just to yeah. have a, you know, memory of my, some of the opening acts, because I never, sure. you know, my agent in New York would just go, okay, you're at this club, and then i fly in, and then there'd be a guy who would be opening for me that I'd never seen before, yeah, and, yeah. Like, and we'd have a great week. That's I, awesome. I mean, that's its own thing. I mean, I, I had a whole episode with a, a nice gentleman named Jeff Abraham, who was a PR guy who uh-huh. collects the vinyl version of that. Like oh, is that right? Only local stuff usually. Like he's got a well, I lie. He's got about five thousand records, <laughs> comedy records. Wow. And a lot of them are stuff for comedians who are local only, who didn't go anywhere. Who uh, you know? It's phenom- I, I guess it's. Does it still happen like that? I yeah. You could stay local and just uh, have a good living. I mean, there's. That well, blows my mind. San Francisco guys, there's Canadian guys that do very well that you never hear of down here. Right, right. And uh, and of course, uh, yeah, you go, even Kansas City has like Stanford and Sons. They used to have quite a comedy circle. Okay, yeah. And there were like guys there that never traveled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, now with the internet, obviously, it's uh, this is a tired thing to say, but you can get your stuff to everybody. Yeah. Um, Though I, I sort of not put my stuff because it's improvised. Yeah. So every show... Completely different, yeah. And also, uh, 
improv without improv looks kind of crappy without being there. For sure. Yeah. yeah so I'm always does. like, uh, you know, I don't really want that on. Uh, I see. Because it looks like you're just fucking around with some stranger, right. as opposed to demilding a whole X Files episode and making a, yeah. a group think happen. And so, you know, the energy of the whole audience. And stuff so like you're, that. I mean, so really at this point, you're, I mean, is it is it trite to say that what you're doing is turned into performance art more than anything? <laughs> I, I mean, I know it sound, makes you sound like yeah, a hipster. It, yeah, it's like a pretentious bastard. So, yeah, it's like, I know I don't want uh, yeah. you to sound that way, but it's it's not traditional stand up, and it's not no. just improv either. It's right. Like, it's it's a, yeah, it's its own thing. I guess so. I never thought to market it like that. Sure. But now I might. Yeah, and, there, you uh, there you go. <laughs> I was planning, I, uh, I have uh, Anime Pro 10 now, uh-huh. uh, my uh, animation software. Mm-hmm. I was going to take audio from my old improv and then animate it. Really? Yeah. So then that'd be awesome. That, that, so that would be like how I would see it. And like, That's cool. And there'd be these scenes. And then so that way it uh, removes you from the guy just fucking around and you can actually <laughs> right. direct it into like how the shots would look and stuff mm-hmm. like that so that would be that's next after my graphic novel's finished oh, I love it. that's good <laughs> yeah um, so I'm trying to think do you have I mean do you at this point looking back is there one album that is a absolute favorite or is that not a choice you choose to make that's a yeah that's a choice and I choose not to make I like the, the really like you know, having that Swedish comedy album yeah. is so freaking weird. Yeah, and uh, I still will play it when I go back home. It's like still in my parents' collection. Uh huh. Um, and then uh, I had Flip Wilson's album too. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which had Geraldine and all that on yeah, there uh-huh. before I saw the TV show. Okay. And because awesome. uh, I only saw that in repeats, I don't know why I didn't watch it live. Mm-hmm. I think it was on the same time as Calvinette. I love discovering stuff that way. Too. Yeah. You know, just discovering it through an album of people I don't, you know, I, I wow. heard of. Wow. Guess know? what I just bought at a used record store on Melrose. What's uh, that? What'd you Don Adams. Oh, so good. His Vegas show uh-huh. that was all the gags from Get Smart. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. That's yes. awesome. So I have that album and it's like, would you believe, you know, missed it by that much, but he's doing it on a, as a Vegas show, and you like, so and you hear a live audience laughing at it, and it's sort of this narrated story that mm-hmm. he's telling as he's this super spy, yeah. and you're like, wow, so that's how they just did the series, they just saw his act, and go, why don't we just do that as a series, Don Adams? Well, that's the kind of thinking. That's so weird. So weird. So uh, I have it, uh, I have it on vinyl, and then my friend had a vinyl to USB. Uh, uh, player, mm-hmm. you know, so he played it. I just have it on USB now, so I don't, yeah. I don't want to scratch that out. No, of anymore. course, it's like really rare. You know, it's very. This is this is a very weird sideways thing. I'm sorry, I'm derailing it again. No, no. no. But you, now that you're talking about get smart, it's making me think of your pitch for the new X Files. Because did you ever see around '95? No, it had to have been '94. It was right before News Radio, where they tried to reboot Get Smart, starring Andy Dick as their kid. No. Yes. With Don Adams? Yeah, Don Adams and, and, and 99 were there as peripheral characters. But oh. Andy Dick was, and Andy Dick is brilliant in it. It's not good, but Andy Dick is great in it because he's a great physical 94. comedian. 94. It what? had to have been around 94 because News Radio was the next year. And it was after Nude Bomb, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the yeah, movie, yeah. right? Right, it had Where, to have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that was 84 yeah. or 2 or mm-hmm. something like that. So, yeah, they, so. they were trying to redo, yeah. How many how many episodes did that last? I think there was only the, the TV movie slash pilot. That's all wow. I saw. Because I had to see it because I knew that stuff when I was tiny, tiny. I'm like, this is going to be great. Yeah. Who's this Andy Dick 
chick guy. And I'm like, he's really funny. And I probably would have loved it because I was 14 <laughs> at the time and I wouldn't right. have any taste. But I do, my, my, my memories of it are fun, but now that I think about it, the idea of it, it sounds horrible. It sounds horrible, it, yeah, exactly. It sounds like the really bad version of, it's just very funny that it's very similar to your X-Files idea, which at least would be awesome. Right. And action-packed and sexy, you know. Well, see, you know. I'm just saying, I pitch them as I see them, uh, you know. Uh, wow, now I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, I haven't I haven't watched it. i got to see. It's got to be on YouTube. I hope it's, it's on YouTube. I hope so, man. Yeah. Wow, that is good. Because Andy Dick did the um, uh, that sketch comedy show that I actually saw. They played it in real time with uh, uh, Ben Stiller, oh, yeah. Kirk, and, and Janine Garofalo. Mm-hmm. And that was like a massively popular show of Canada. Right. Okay. And apparently nobody watched it down here. <clears throat> no, they didn't. That's, it fell apart here for no reason. Uh, for no reason. Yeah. The sketches were great. The yeah. characters were hilarious. We loved it up there. Die Hard 12 is great. Die Hard 12, Die Hungry. So <laughs> good. Gobbly goo doo He's making all those sketch phrases under the sink. Oh my gosh. I love that. And the one uh, um, Charles Manson oh, as Lassie. <laughs> he's like, Manson! And he's running through the field over the fence. Fancy! They're very goobity guy! And old man, the thing! Oh, is there a fire in the well, Manson? <laughs> oh, no, everything's coming around the thing! Oh, Manson! So good! <laughs> so good. Well, the thing is, like, I, I feel like that's a weird thing about comedy in America is that you, we've always been on the cusp of accepting uh, weird just weird off off the wall comedy we try to pretend that we're super edgy but right when there's stuff like that we crap on it yeah, like, exactly and know, nobody watches it it takes you have to be subversively odd to get in which is why SCTV caught on here at all right because it's weird but it's just accessible enough to us right although we obviously didn't get the irony of <clears throat> the uh Bob and Doug? Yeah, Bob and Doug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't get that. We're that like, oh, that's like, a Canadian. So we're like, right. uh-huh. yeah, exactly. And that's now what everybody thinks a Canadian is, and I'm so sorry. I know, it's hilarious. And even we saw it, because that was the thing. They were under CanCon rule that they had right. to have a certain amount of Canadian content. They're like, we're Canadian. What? How much more Canadian content? Right. Unless we have a snowmobile and we're bad baker with the toques on. Okay, let's do that. Well, here we go. <laughs> here we go. That's fantastic. But, uh, yeah, and it's funny because I watched SCTV from... Uh, their first uh, year one so good. and uh, then it was really quirky and when, by the time they signed their uh, US deal mm-hmm. uh, you could see the shift that they made to like you know they actually uh, buffered down the edges a bit okay, okay, yeah. and it was like oh okay well it's still pretty funny sure yeah sure, but it wasn't but... like as hot and like uh, sharp as it was sure. in the early episodes but you watch them now, and you're still it's still funny as hell. So good. Did so you good. did you ever see? And I haven't heard of it until I saw Kelly Carlin's show. Have you ever seen? Uh, you maybe you have. Uh, Rick Moranis doing George Carlin. Yes. Oh my oh, god. god. Isn't I that great? Fantastic. Oh yeah. I forget what an impressionist he is. So because good. Because he's so unassuming looking. I know. You know, and he's just this guy, and then fucking blows that out of him. Yeah, and they had oh uh, coming this week to the whatever auditorium with George Carlin, and he's just sitting there reading off cards, uh-huh. and he has the long hair. And go, hey, you ever notice about escalators? They go up or down, <laughs> <laughs> and then he just goes to the next card like that. Like the, 
as stupid as bits. <laughs> and it was just doing them one after another. It was that impersonation. Oh, oh so good. And his Perry Como, mm-hmm. Mr. Relaxation. Do you remember that one? Just him lying on the couch sideways, singing songs with his arm and dangling on the floor. <laughs> and it's like everybody coming out. Oh, yeah, it's Mr. Relaxation. We really like him. And I feel like there are times when we're just catching up to that stuff sometimes. I know. And I'm not crapping on American comedy. I'm just saying there are times when... Well, it yeah. takes us a while to catch up on this. I wasn't watching those early SNL. It was because uh-huh. SCTV was on the sure. exact same time. So I chose that over SNL. Yeah. And so the reverie for, you know, the Belushi, Ackroyd, yeah. Chevy Chase days are lost on me. Right. In watching them now, it's like, really? Yeah, no, I can I can understand that. Because yeah. I, I think we have the first season. And I'm like, cool, we have the first season. It's like... Okay, this is taking a bit to get through. This is a bit of a slog. Like, I want to appreciate it. I love these guys. I mean, was there any kind of, like, uh, I mean, how many of the first SNL guys were Canadian? Uh, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd uh, Gilda Radner had, oh, right. uh, was she from Toronto? But they were in that uh, uh, bizarre uh, Broadway uh, show that was in Toronto called Godspell. Oh, yeah. And yeah, Godspell yeah. was a, a merging of, like, what would be the next uh, 40 years of comedy in right. this one show. Yes. And uh, and so and then once somebody left the cast, a comedian from Vancouver uh-huh. uh, joined that uh, show as well, and he did very well in Vancouver. So yeah, so I uh, yeah, those were the only two Canadians, and then they were at Second City Toronto, right. and then the guys who left behind, uh-huh. Dave Thomas, Joe Flaherty, Andrew Martin, Captain O'Hara, they said, well, why don't we just do our own show up here? Uh-huh. And they did that, and then there was another god awful. It only lasted like two episodes mm-hmm. of a sketch comedy, Canadian sketch comedy group trying to make it that came on just around the same time, but wow. it was horrible. Oh, oh it was oh, horrible. No. So, and I think oh. it had uh, Tony Rosato in it and uh, some other ones. Mm-hmm. So it was like even this, the, the touring group of SCTV wow. tried to had their own shot of a series. That's and crazy. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So. Yeah, there's so much. I, so yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, comedy album. Yeah. yeah, so we got through them all. <laughs> Don Adams, that was my last one I bought. Uh, uh, Woody Allen's uh, The Skipping. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it covered. That's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, so before we go, yes. let's plug anything that you want to plug. Sure. Podcast, Twitter, et cetera. Et cetera. Right. Uh, oh, I have a Mike. weekly podcast, Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, uh-huh. where we talk about celebrity deaths, mm-hmm. movie news, school closings, whatever <laughs> Uh, if you want a tour of downtown Los Angeles mm-hmm. to see some of this rich uh, vaudeville and silent film h- history, you can go to my website, Broadway Walking Tour. No S on that one. Uh-huh. Otherwise, you get the New York one. Okay. So, Broadway Walking Tour. and uh, Or you can just email me directly at dean and deanhaglin.com. Easy enough. Easy enough. And yeah. deanhaglin.com is my website. Are you on Twitter? I am at dhaglin, but I, uh, you know... All the funny, I do a weekly, uh, we run a weekly comedy show at The Lash, which is this uh-huh. kind of cool underground bar, and uh, I don't even tweet the jokes I, I make up that night. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, I should, I should at the end of the night go, hey, that was a funny bit, yeah, I'm just yeah, going to yeah. tweet that. I, I, you're I, at a bar, you're I'm doing a comedy, bar, you're trying to entertain people. Saying goodnight to everybody, yeah, and then you're walking home. But You're Canadian, you <laughs> cannot help that, right? That's <laughs> one thing you will not be able to stop, I assume. No, in fact, uh, the joke that we did that Steve Benequist, who's my co-host, uh-huh. uh, couldn't believe is when you find a penny on the street, you pick it up, mm-hmm. and he said you keep it. And in Canada, you give it to someone else to get good luck. I like that. Right? I like that better. Right. All right, everybody, listen to the Canadian. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> give, give the street pennies to other people. Yeah, why not? That's what I say. You're never going to use it. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. This, this has been, been a awesome. Pleasure. This has been amazingly fun. And your awesome. dogs are wonderful. Yes. <laughs> They've just been staring at the, looking for rats right. to run by the waterfall. <laughs> so, and I hope the background traffic wasn't... Nah, it wasn't that bad. It adds ambiance. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Thank and you. as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com.